Okay, okay. I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah, you're ready. Wine you! Hello, everybody! Welcome to Wine You Wish Upon a Star, your favorite Disney fan cast, where a couple of kids drink some wine and then watch a Disney movie and then drink more wine. Although we're not kids, we're adults. We're of legal drinking age. I'm your host, Joe Payo. I'm joined by my other host, Brenna Payo. She's not talking. She's, she's motioning at me. It's like she's, she's lost her ability to speak. What's going on here? All right, is, this, is this a bit? What are you doing? You're pointing at your mouth. Do I have to ki- Oh, I have to kiss you. I have to kiss you. Okay. Oh my gosh. Hi, guys. I can talk again. Oh, I see what you're doing. Your, your voice was taken away by a sea witch, which could only be returned to you by true love's kiss. It was true love's kiss. Uh, see, I had three days to do that, and I only, it only took me, like, ten minutes. See, you could have had me be quiet for, like, two and a half days. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> there's a whole verse and a song in this movie that we watched that is about just that. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't pick up on it, we watched The Little Mermaid. Yes, the classic from Disney from 1989. For a lot of people, this was their introduction to, like, a Disney household. Like, after this movie, everybody wanted to watch Disney movies, and it wasn't, like, a whole shotgun approach of just, like, well, I like this Disney, but not this. But this was, like, definitive Disney. If you grew up in hashtag 90s kid, this was your, your movie. What kind of wine did we drink while we watched it? Well, I must admit, this wine had somewhat to do with the movie. I was in a rosé mood. So we went to our uh, local liquor store and picked up a bottle of Hampton water. Hampton water. So it shows a woman diving into rosé on the label. Uh, It's a product of France, and it is a joke that rosé is Hampton water. (laughs) This is the water they drink in the Hamptons. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, it was a pretty good rosé. Like, I can't argue it was like a $20 bottle. Yeah, it was about that. Um, It was very refreshing. I mean, I was pretty thirsty. I didn't realize when we started watching the movie. And I was just drinking, not like slowly sipping wine and enjoying it. I realized that I was drinking it because it was refreshing. And I looked over and my glass was empty and I had to refill again quite a few times. (laughs) Yeah, so it it was pretty tasty. And then we usually, I mean, the way we usually do things is we'll get a more expensive bottle and then we'll follow it up with like a cheaper bottle that makes us laugh. And so we got the Hampton water. It was more expensive. It was tasty. Then we followed it up with White Girl Rosé. Well, twist top that's just called White Girl. It knows what it is. Yeah, it knows what it is. And you know what? It's exactly what I needed it to be. It was White Girl Rosé. It reminds me of that one time when we were just in a rosé mood and we were with some friends on like a Sunday morning and they were like, what are your plans for today? And we're just like, we're going to go home. We're going to make brunch. And then we're going to get a rosé, rosé all day. And then we went to the store and found a rosé called Rosé All Day. Yeah, I mean, I feel like as a white girl, I have to rosé all day. That is my job in this world. That is your only job. (laughs) Rosé all day. So The Little Mermaid. Um, Did you see this movie in theaters? Uh, No, I didn't. I wasn't born yet. (laughs) So I didn't see this movie in theaters, but I grew up watching this movie a lot because, hello, redheaded princesses, that's my jam, being a redheaded princess myself. Well, you realize this is the first redheaded princess. Yeah. No, I'm aware of the significance. Guess what, guys? Already. Fun fact right here. (gasps) 
fun. Wait, you're starting the song already? Yeah, why not? Like right at the beginning? Why not? I, I guess I don't have a reason. <gasps> fun facts with Joe Payo. Were like, you swimming or kissing? Well, like both. <laughs> like it was halfway between like a kiss and a swim, I realized. She was swipsing. Kissing. <laughs> So fun fact, when they were designing Ariel, there were some ideas floated around and a lot of them had to do with her having blonde hair. But then they realized the movie Splash, which had just come out around the time that this had started being made, Daryl Hannah had blonde hair in that. And so they had to make sure that they were differentiating that this wasn't just an animated version of the movie Splash. And so they gave her stark red hair to give her a different look. Because red, red hair is the best. And, that, and also that. <laughs> <laughs> we begin the movie not under the sea, as you would expect, but up in the air with seagulls flying in the sky and they fly down and meet some dolphins. And then we have the first song is a sea shanty being sung by the sailors sailing on the open seas with Prince Eric. And I realized this is the first time that a Disney movie starts with a sea shanty, not the last time. Because, like, there are a lot of Disney movies I realized while watching this that, from this example, start with a bunch of burly men working. Like, there's this one, Pocahontas is going to have that, Frozen has this. It's just, this, this becomes a staple. I think it's to kind of reassure the young boys in the audience, this isn't just all about princesses and magic. Like, this is also about men. During the Fathoms Below song, one of the fish gets away from the fish catchers. And that fish jumps back into the ocean. Hang up. Fish catches? Fish catchers. <laughs> fish catchers. Fishermen. I should have just said fishermen. Why did I say fishermen? Why did I say fish catchers? That doesn't even make sense. Because it's a like, call out to our past episode. They're not even like baseball players. Like, mm, better up, better up, better up. Uh, right here, right here. <laughs> he caught a fish in their mitt. That's no, what that sound was. <laughs> no, imagining a baseball game that instead of using a baseball, uses those salmon cannons and just shoots <laughs> them across the plate. Do you know what? That sounds terrible. That sounds like they're batting at fish. Like... That makes me think of that time that batter, like, hit the ball and hit that bird. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that was awful to watch, but everyone should watch it. So, anyway, this fish makes it out alive, gets back into the ocean, and gives, like, a big sigh of relief. Even though he, like, looks back up and it's like, so if all of his friends and family are dead, like... you see, you're only allowed to have feelings and thoughts in these movies if you have human eyes. So, like, all of the fish that were caught, they have, like, dead fish eyes. But he has, like, lively eyes that are darting back and forth. And so when he swims away, he's lucky to go away. And he's just like, hooray, I made it. I think I should go to a concert. Yeah, he goes off to a concert. Also, there are baby mermaids that are showing up to this concert. How are mermaids made? There's no, there's, what, how? Well, you see, when a merman loves a mermaid very much. Yeah, no, keep explaining (laughs) because I don't understand. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like seahorses where the men carry the eggs, the fertilized eggs to term. Okay, but someone has to have a place to make a baby. You mean like behind an IHOP? <laughs> In the back seat of a Volvo. Okay, so they all head to a concert and it turns out... Oh, the back seat of a Mer-Volvo. <laughs> Mer-Volvo. Uh... Mercedes Benz. Oh, wait, are those already fish cars? <gasps> uh, Monda <laughs> SUV. Are you saying Mazda? Um, a Mord. 
like a kelp. It's like oh, like a kelp. <laughs> <laughs> Built more tough. <laughs> Kelps are so delicate. That Nissan be- <laughs> is everywhere you want to be. Underwater. <gasps> Under the sea. Under the sea. <laughs> oh boy, this is gonna be a long one. We haven't even introduced any of the characters. No, we're still with that dumb fish. <laughs> that makes the it all. dumb off. fish who's like peering into the back seats of mer cars. Are you a cop? You gotta tell me. <laughs> shining his, like an angler like, shining his light. <laughs> and the other fish are like, but that's a snack. No, 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 it's not a snack. <laughs> oh, man. So there's a concert and... Basically, Ariel doesn't show up when she should have, and everybody's mad, and it turns out Ariel and Flounder, her best friend, who is a flounder, are at a shipwreck, and Flounder is super scared that there's sharks. Ariel says, don't worry, there's no sharks. Turns out, there's sharks. Here's my big question. Okay. Okay, sharks are awesome, first off. That was my first statement. Here's my question. Why don't sharks get to talk or have like emotions or feelings or anything? Because they don't have human eyes. I just went over that. You can't have thoughts or, or, or speak unless you have human eyes. Oh, no. Sharks- and they have like Ugh. animal eyes in this. Like they have a little bit of like a human eyes of just like, but more of just like an angry animal. Like, like I'm trying to get you and I can't. You're too slippery. No, no, no. Sharks should be able to talk and like have emotions. He just goes up to the shipwreck and he's like, Excuse me, may I eat you? I'm just saying, sharks are amazing creatures. I love sharks. Sharks are awesome. Everyone should love sharks. I could talk about, I could have a whole nother podcast about sharks because I love sharks so much. Shark you wish upon a shark. No, it would be more like Gil you scream across the screen. Ooh, that's, that sounds violent. No, but like people think they need to be afraid of sharks, but they don't need to be afraid of sharks. I want to address the violence in this. It doesn't feel scary. It's thrilling. It's adventurous. But based on like the last few movies that we'd watched, anytime that there was like something of people being in danger, it usually got really intense and nerve wracking. But in this, it's more like an adventure movie, like an Indiana Jones movie, where instead of it being like, oh my gosh, these people are in mortal danger and they will die. It's more of like, okay, I know things will be okay in the end, but right now, this is very thrilling. So the way they animated it, the way they cut it, the way they they framed it, it's all very intense and it's all very thrilling, but you're never feeling mortified by what's happening. But mortified? like, it, You're embarrassed? Not embarrassed, no. No, I mean mortified, just like... Yeah, people are getting killed, I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) But it's like, it's not like you're shocked that it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe a cartoon is showing, like from Fox and the Hound, like a dog biting a bear in the face. Oh no, I agree totally. I feel like this movie has been a complete shift in like their entire movie process where it's like, even like Oliver and Company, there were moments in Oliver and Company where I was like, there's a child in danger and this does not feel okay. And there's a Whereas character like, with a giant gun who is shooting at the at main character. Yeah. And so then, but like in this movie, it's like all of the action, it was obviously life threatening and like, spoiler alert, the bad guy dies at the end by being stabbed, which we'll get there. But, like, all of it felt very controlled and very contained. So I feel like if I were a parent 
letting my kid watch this movie. I would let my kid watch this movie more than I would let my kid watch The Rescuers, where like a child was put in a hole and almost drowned. Exactly. Like the ramifications of everything are very different. Instead of it's like, we're holding up a mirror to society. We're showing that, yes, kids are abducted. It's like, we don't need to talk about that. Because the great thing about having an animated movie is you create the whole world and you create the characters, you create the situations. So if there is an uncomfortable thing, you don't have to show that. You can put things, you can frame things in a way where it's like, this is a a swashbuckling adventure and this is totally outside the bounds of reality and you can make it whatever you want. So then when you do put the characters in danger, they infuse it with just the right amount of levity where you don't feel... Like you yourself as an audience member are about to see something grotesque. It just feels fun. By the way, my favorite detail of this scene with the whole shark exploration scene is so late 80s and early 90s that it's like I didn't even think about it in the last times I've seen it. She's got her little purse, like her shoulder bag through the whole thing, which is like you don't see a ton of those nowadays. But I remember back then in the late 80s, early 90s, you would not see a woman without like one of those kinds of totes just like draped over her elbow. And Ariel's got one and she's just using it to collect human stuff. Not like human remains, but like artifacts. Like she had like three femurs and a tibula in there. Well, they did find a skeleton in the in the boat. And like and Flounder's just like freaked out about it and she's like are you okay and he's just like yeah i'm fine i'm fine i'm totally fine she's like are there kidneys left those get a lot of the black market oh you gotta get into the marrow that's where the good stuff is she goes to get her stuff appraised by her i guess pawn shop owner scuttle the seagull okay can we talk about the fact that i think seagulls have always been dumb but like can you imagine the idea that seagulls are watching you and mixing up everything you're doing? And, like, a seagull should know what a fork does. People are at the beach eating things. Like, you buy stuff. Like, I always buy fries from the, like, beach shack. You know, like, the food place. And then, like, I'm eating it with a fork. Seagulls should know what forks do, man. Well, I think in, like, 1700s Denmark, they're not buying fries at the shack. They are more of just things that are, like found that they haven't actually seen whatever (laughs) you over here with your 1700s denmark yeah i understood they had candles but they weren't speaking dutch danish they were no i already ate breakfast oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) dutch no i'll pay for everything that's fine (laughs) no i'll pay Unbeknownst to them, while this dumb seagull is telling her, comb your hair with the fry utensil, they are, being, they are being watched a by the hopper? eels. Yes, the dingle hopper. He is demonstrating the dingle hopper. She's being observed through the magic eyes of eels, and Ursula's watching. Ugh. You know, I haven't met her yet, but you just kind of see her vision into her crystal ball. She's like, hoo, hoo, hoo. That was a great impersonation. It's more like, now I've got him, flotsam, jetsam, girls. The boss is on a roll. <laughs> That's probably all I can sing. <laughs> the only part that I remembered was, never undermine the importance of the body language. <laughs> okay, here is a, like, a thought I've never had while watching this movie. What is the backstory of Ursula that she is half human, half octopus, while everyone else is half human, half fish? I've got a little fun fact about that. Bling! 
Is that a new song? Did you just come up with a new song? Yeah, it's better than me saying, Deep Brenner, you want a fun fact? Um, I mean, I appreciate that. Because <laughs> then I have to answer with something witty, and I don't have that much wit left in me. So you know how there's merfolk in this, mermaids and mermen? Well, there is an also lesser-known type of mythological creature in the same sort of vein of storytelling, known as a, and I'm totally going to mispronounce this, a cesalia, which is a human upper body and an octopus lower body. So she is actually a similarly reported mythical creature as mermaids. But why is she the only one? I don't know. They don't really address that. But it is based on, on, on an actual thing. The Disney people didn't just say like, you know what? Let's just do half human, half anything. Like it actually is based on something. Um, I got it. But I'm just saying like, I guess they're not going to address why in a, in a cartoon, like a kid's cartoon that's only an hour and a half long. But like, I'm just curious why she's the only one. Visually, I think it's, it's very powerful rather than her just being like an evil mermaid. They she stands do it, out. They do it really well. They make her body look like the the octopus part is the dress, while like the rest of her is the human. So they do it really well. I'm not saying it's not strikingly like visually powerful. I was just saying like for the first time I thought about like what is Ursula's history. I'm not expecting you to answer that. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> saying that like this is an observation like. As many times as I've watched this movie, I've never sat down and taken notes on this movie. And it was the first time I've thought about what is Ursula's history. Thinking back to from when I was a kid and I was watching it, I always assumed that it was a kind of thing having to do with these half octopus people. And then there were these half fish people. And she and Triton know each other. Like they're kind of these titans. And he kind of won out the king of the ocean crown. And therefore, his people were allowed to thrive and, like, populate and everything, while hers did not. And so that's why I had always assumed that they had this rivalry where she's just like, I'm going to take control because the Mer people have had it too good for too long. Like, it's, it, it's, it's a very James Bondy, like, I'm going to take over the world kind of thing. But I always assumed that they've known each other for ages and ages and ages, but she's kind of like part of a dying breed or something hold up did you read this somewhere or did you just make this up in your head no i just made that up in my head when i was a kid oh my god like because i saw them kind of on equal footing and that's why like when he signs away his like his body basically to become part of her collection of people in her garden she just takes the crown she's like finally and puts it on and takes the trident and he's like yeah finally i'm in charge like i just assumed it wasn't like a I mean, watching it now, it's like, how come just having a crown and a trident just means that you're the king of the ocean? But I I assumed that it had to do with, like, they had this past history together where they were equals and he just won out over her. So jumping back, (laughs) Ariel falls in love with Prince Eric while he's on a boat. There's fireworks. It turns out it's his birthday, but there's a whole shipwreck because the ship is hit by lightning, but it's right near the shore and she saves him. Also, when she's, like, watching the party, I never realized, like, how does she get up to the deck? Oh, she's got crazy upper body strength. I wrote that (laughs) down. I was like, she's got upper body strength like you wouldn't believe. She just, like, like, hoofs herself up there. To envision this for our listeners, you see the boat. And for some reason, I think maybe as a kid, I thought that where she was was at the water level. But you see the boat from the outside. And it's a full, like, 50 feet up from, like, the surface of the water to the deck. 
And so you just start to see her kind of swim up to it. And then like it cuts away to what's happening on the boat. And then you see her just kind of climb up and like rest her elbows, just like, what's up? I'm here. There's there probably are footholds, but she doesn't have feet. So it's all just upper body, just swimming straight up. I think she's kind of like Aquaman, where she just has this amazing power. That's the way she can like swim and talk underwater is because she's just crazy strong. But she was able to just climb up like it's no big deal and then like smile at a dog. Well, and then Max licks her face. Max is the goodest boy. I love in this whole movie that Max always hears her. Max always sees her and nobody listens to Max. (laughs) Yes. Like Max is always like over here, over here. Like he's trying to get Eric to be like, look at, look at her, look at her. And then Max and Eric's like, I'm going to marry this other one. And Max is like, idiots. Like if you could hear a dog talk, like if, if Max were in Oliver and company, Max would be telling Eric he's an idiot. (laughs) But yeah, even when she's like escaping and after she rescues him from from the boat explosion, Eric is just like, where's that girl? There was a girl here. Where is she? And like Grimsby's just like, oh, you were imagining it. And then Max is like barking right at her, just like over there. She's there. She's on a rock. She's singing. She's singing right at us. There's water splashing around her. She's singing so loud. She's (laughs) the water is erupting behind her. Everyone look. Okay, no one look. That's fine. I will see this myself. Bark, bark. So I feel like one of the more troubling parts about this movie is like the entire relationship between Ariel and Triton. I never quite realized this like father-daughter relationship that's like not super great. This is his seventh daughter and I feel like he just like gave up. And so he just breaks all her stuff and says like, as long as you live in my ocean. And it's like, okay, I get the whole saying of like, as long as you live under my roof. The roof ends at some point. The ocean doesn't end when you have gills. Well, that's but that's the thing is he is basically like Poseidon or Neptune. Like he is the king of the ocean. He rules over everything. Right, but she's if you a can't princess. She's a princess the of the ocean. Ocean though. No, and I think that when he is throwing a tantrum and destroying all of her stuff, and he's saying, "As long as you live under my ocean," yeah, he, it is like a, a clever joke and just kind of making her very relatable. Especially because even in her song, she mentions the fact that, like, I bet on land, fathers aren't mean to their daughters. It's like, well, clearly, you don't understand (laughs) because that is a universal thing. When I do that song for karaoke, that line always makes me laugh. (laughs) Also, I I just want to mention with that song, oh, God, it's such great songwriting. We've had all these Disney princesses that sing these songs that are just like, I had this dream that this prince came and he rescued me and I went and lived in his castle. And you know what? A dream is a wish that your heart makes. And like, it's all these very fantastical things. She is singing about normal life. Like she's like, I want basically what we in the audience are just see as like just normal everyday things. Walking down the street is magic to her. And I think that that is something that is so cool that this movie does, that a lot of movies following it follow in the footsteps of, but the fact that you see this magical world and there's a character who's just like, I just want to know what a fire is. And it's, it's so cool because then it, like, it gives you this introspection of just like, I never realized how beautiful and magical the world I live in, the things I take for granted are to people living in like this other world that I wish I was a part of. And I just think that's just so like, so intelligent. Well, I think building on top of that, there's this whole thing about how 
the original princesses. Like, all they need is a man to make them better. But I feel like when it comes to Ariel, she has more understanding than other princesses because she understands that in order to have this life that she wants, this happiness that she's looking for, she actually has to let go of her family and the life that she knows. She seems to understand the sacrifice that she has to make to have this life that she wants. And it's not just like, well, a man will complete me. It's like, no, I have this love for someone. And in order to achieve this love, I do have sacrifice I have to make. So I think Ariel is a stronger character than maybe other princesses that are considered like the original princesses because Ursula has to convince her to give up her voice. Like she doesn't just like say like, you need my voice? Sure, no problem. At the same time, I understand that Ariel is no Merida. She's no Anna. She's no Elsa. Like I get that she's not these super strong female characters that we know now, But at the time, I think she was an extremely strong female character for her day. No, absolutely. I I think that she kind of carved the path for other people. I would even go as far to say that, like, Belle, being the next princess figure, is another level beyond that. But the thing was, is that when I was seeing it as a kid, I saw everything on a very surface level. So when I saw when Ursula transforms into Vanessa and uses Ariel's voice and starts singing, and he falls for her and wants to marry her right away, I didn't like him. I thought, he's very shallow because he wasn't in love with Ariel, he's only in love with the voice. It's made more clear in this watching of it that she is using magic. And you see it like as she's walking on the beach, and she makes his eyes light up, and after that, he's basically a zombie. Well, he doesn't blink the whole rest of the time until the necklace is broken. Exactly. Finally, when like Ursula slash Vanessa's necklace is broken, then does he blink for the first time? And he's like, uh, (laughs) like he realizes he's like, looks around. He's like, uh, (laughs) and he looks down at himself. He's like, uh. (laughs) See, but even as, as a kid, what I associated that with was because that moment when that breaks, when the spell breaks, is also when the voice goes back to Ariel. And he's like, oh, I'm supposed to be in love with you. So as a child, I just associated that with like, this guy's just following the voice around. He doesn't care who has the voice. But I get it now seeing it because it's like even visually like, yeah, he's walking around a zombie. He's not blinking. And he's got that like golden light in the middle of his pupil that is showing like you're being mesmerized by a sea witch. I mean, can we go back and just talk about how funny Under the Sea was as a song number? I did not realize how funny that song was. I know I've seen this movie as an adult because this is one of my favorite movies as a redheaded princess. Of course. (laughs) This is one of my favorite movies. And that song never ceases to make me laugh. I think that the the brilliance of that song is just that he's bringing in the audience perspective where it's like we're watching this movie. We're watching all these beautiful creatures under the sea that we'd never like experienced before. We're experiencing the magic of like this whole undersea world. Meanwhile, she's the one saying like, I am tormented by this existence. And Sebastian doesn't see that. He sees from our eyes where he's just like, check it out. There's all these different kinds of fish and they do all different kinds of thing. And they live these like incredible lives that other people like that you'll never see if you live on the surface of the world. And it's like, it's filled with all these puns. There's a lot of fish puns and music puns just all over the place. And it is just so fun. 
Yeah, it's funny from top to bottom. And at the end, Errol's not even there. And that's even funnier. Like, he does this whole thing, and then he, like, the final, like, bum, bum, and she's not even there. <laughs> well, the thing that I realized this time is that, because I remember her just kind of piecing out, like, before it's all over. But I didn't realize that it was Flounder who tells her, like, comes up, whispers in her ear, and they swim off together. Flounder, he's always pretending that he's being dragged along, but he's a troublemaker. Because he's taken her to find the statue of Eric that he's stolen and somehow his, in his own little tiny fishy body has brought to her little grotto of collections. Can you explain to me the physics of Flounder dragging a two-ton statue through a teeny tiny hole in Ariel's grotto? I gotta say, I wondered about that from like the moment I saw that this time. Because I thought like during part of your world, we see her like look up through the top of the cave and it's small. Like she cannot fit through it. It barely just fits and, her shoulder and her arm and that's yeah. it. Like not even her face. And then at the base of the cave, there is an entrance and it is very small and it's guarded by a rock. So like that's big enough to like squash Sebastian when right. he tries to get through. So like it's a very small space. So somehow Flounder gets it in there. But the roughest part about this movie, and I think this is the roughest moment of the movie, is when Triton comes in there and he sees all of Ariel's things from like the human world and he breaks every single one of them. Like he takes his Triton and he breaks all of them, including this statue that Flounder has just put in there of Prince Eric. It's one of those moments where like it's rough to watch and it's like the visuals of it the effects are devastating like when he destroys the statue he shoots it with a beam and it doesn't just explode like dynamite it's like you see these like magma lines forming all around it like it's cracking and it's just like very gradually like heating up from the inside and then explodes in every direction and the whole time she's just screaming daddy no like it's rough to watch like it's clear that King Triton is so mad that he's just breaking all the stuff, but that is what causes the rest of the movie to happen. Like, I feel like if he'd walked in there and been like, please don't do this anymore, she wouldn't have gone to freaking Ursula, and, like, the rest of the movie wouldn't have happened. One of my favorite lines of any Disney movie is actually from <laughs> Monsters University, and we'll get there. We'll talk about it. But to paint the scene for the uninitiated, the monsters have to run this, like, obstacle course for this, like, frat competition. And one of the things they have to do is they have to scare the children. It's almost like a shooting range. But it's like when the little cardboard child pops up, you scare them. But then there's, like, the desensitized adolescents. And if they pop up, you have to hide from them. And so one of them that pops up is this, like, teenage girl with this, like, goth boyfriend, or, like, maybe he's, like, a rock star, and he's, like, got piercings and, like, a mohawk. And when she pops up, she's, like, clutching onto him, and she goes, but daddy, I love him! We've laughed at that so many times, because that's such a hilarious joke. So now Triton is in Ariel's cave, and he goes to blow up the statue, and she goes, but daddy, I love him! And we just go, ooh! <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I didn't realize the Monsters University line was an actual direct quote because it's it's one of those things where like when you are a teenager and you are that age, that is like the most devastating thing when your parent doesn't like the person you're dating or the person you're in love with. It's like your whole world is being destroyed. But when you're on the parent side, it's just like you're trying to tell your child this is da- this dangerous situation and I don't like this and I don't like this person. And I don't think he's a good influence on you and who you're becoming as a person. And so it's like that switch. And I think that's that's why it's so funny with Monsters University, because that's when like the people at Pixar were becoming parents and experiencing their children being these like adolescent kids who are just so devastated over the teeny tiniest little like inconvenience <laughs> which is why the sentence but daddy i love him changed so much because in ariel you're like but daddy she loves him and then in monster thing it's like but daddy i love him like it changes so differently but that's where it's different because like when i was a kid i was just like i don't like triton i hate the, that he's do- doing this but when you see it from an adult perspective you're like this is a very super superficial relationship that you have. You're watching somebody from afar and imagining yourself with him. You don't possibly love him. You don't possibly know what that is. And so he destroys it thinking like, that'll show her. But instead that like drives the wedge in between them even further. So she runs off to Ursula. Ursula changes her into a human. Which, by the way, Ursula changes her into a human underwater, which is a total <laughs> jerk move. Because then she's like, she tries to swim and then she's like... She can't swim. So Flounder, Flounder and Sebastian have to like grab her yes. by the arm and like bring her up to the surface like, so she can what breathe. A jerk move. Like, and then she's like, <gasps> like when she gets to the surface. That's why I see Ursula as more of. I mean, maybe it's more more so like this in in the in the actual written story where she's not necessarily an evil person. She's more like the Twilight Zone version of "Be careful of what you wish for." And so in that happening, it's just like, but you didn't say like that, uh, that I'm going to put you on land. It's sort of like this weird like. Okay, no. Thing. She is evil because then Ariel almost gets Prince Eric to kiss her. They spend to get the day together. They get to go on a boat ride together. There's the whole kiss the girl number, which is wildly sexy thanks to Sebastian. <laughs> And when they're about to kiss, Flotsam and Jetsam flip the boat. But that's what I'm saying is that it, that's where I think it's different in this telling and in the original story. Because in the original story, she's not really an evil person. She is this like sort of Twilight Zone sort of be careful what you wish for thing because she doesn't interfere. And that's where the movie is different because she is clearly interfering for her own gain. And that's where it's because she has fought some and jets them, tip over the boat when they're about to kiss. She becomes a, a player in the whole scenario when she transforms into Vanessa. Like that's where it's different and it shows that clearly she is evil. Okay, the actual Hans Christian Andersen, like Ariel, is so vastly different from like what this is and that's why i i really like this movie though is because it draws these clear lines it makes the hero stay a hero instead of being this like poor unfortunate soul who is just infected by some strange impulse and that becomes their doom it's like that that's a depressing movie i like that there is more of a heroic drive where she is a person who's very driven by like morality and just like very purely just like i'm in love and i want to see where this goes And then the evil person is just evil. (laughs) And I will say that, like, in keeping with the, the, I guess, the original story in the littlest bit, when Eric is hypnotized by Vanessa, Ariel stays on shore. She doesn't try to do anything. 
She doesn't try to, like, mess with their marriage. She's just like, I lost. And it's not until Scuttle tells her, like, oh, Vanessa's the evil queen that she goes like, oh, that's not going to work out. Like, that she goes and tries to mess with the marriage. I know on this podcast, we don't normally dip into the source material. Because if we were talking about, like, Alice in Wonderland, like, that could have been a two-hour discussion of, like, what's different. But there are some very interesting things that happen, such as, like you're saying, she stays on shore. She gets really sad and dissolves into sea foam. That's a really dark ending. And I'm really glad that this ended instead with Ursula becoming a giant sea monster and Eric stabs her with a boat. That is by far more amazing ending. Yeah, I do love the fact that we see Eric grab the boat when like originally the storm, like way in the beginning of the movie. And the only reason he's thrown overboard, I'd like to say, is because of his dog. He makes it onto a rescue boat, and then he realizes Max is still on board the boat that's sinking, and so he goes to save Max, he throws Max overboard, he goes to join Max, and he falls through the boat that then explodes, and that's the only reason Ariel has to save him. So he is a good seaman. He's, like, able to deal with a ship that's going down. So when Ursula becomes, like, Triton, I guess, and, like, takes the crown and grows to be, like, 100 feet tall and starts a whirlpool and pulls up all these sunken ships, then spends her time trying to shoot Ariel. In, like, a little whirlpool thing? Yeah. Even though she's got this, like, 80-foot-long trident yes, that's, like, shooting like, lightning. Yes, she's, <laughs> like, She's, like, trying to hit her with lightning well, in these, like, little tiny spots. she's just being a jerk about it. <laughs> and so then Eric's like, I'm gonna get her. So he jumps on one of these boats that she's pulled up from the depths, and he stabs her, and she dies. I have a quick question. Was that his boat? that he was originally on because i know they're awesome if it was well the thing is is that i i realized there are like five or six boats that she pulls up when she makes her big whirlpool thing but ariel hits this like landmass there's like this one landmass that's like jutting out of the water that's true and that was the same one that they hit when the boat was sinking that's what i was thinking because when eric's original boat sank what had happened was that they were having a party it was his birthday and a freak hurricane showed up. And you don't actually see like a water spout or anything. Like that. It's just like a really big storm. And they end up hitting a landmass just out in the middle of the ocean or well, whatever it is. At the same time, I thought the landmass was also the ground. And that's why it was like so easy for everyone to survive. It was very close to the... That's what I'm saying. Like I ground, thought yeah. it was close to the castle. But it's a very similar sort of like outcropping of rock that's sticking out of the water and so that was wondering if that was just like huh did they actually go to the exact spot where his ship went down and now he's steering his ship back into stab the sea monster well, either way Makes he sense. stabs ursula yeah. she dies and I, I, like you said i i really do like that they they show that he's an able-bodied sailor that he knows what he's doing right. even though he's a prince he's not like let somebody else do it for me. Like, he loves, like, getting in there. Like, the moment that they know the hurricane's coming, he's, like, grabbing rope and, like, pulling, like, harnesses and things like that. That's what I'm saying. Like, some of these princes that have been in the past or are coming up, including the Beast, like, in Beauty and the Beast, I feel like he's a weak character compared to Prince Eric. I feel like Prince Eric actually takes accountability in his role. Do you want to hear a fun fact about Prince Eric? I do want to hear a fun fact about Prince Eric. Well, Prince Eric was voiced by an actor named Christopher Daniel Barnes. And when he recorded his lines, he was 16 years old. What? That's a 16-year-old voice that you hear in that. He sounds like he's in his mid-20s. Yeah. But that's what the uh, the producers thought. They, they thought that he's, his voice is like kind of youthful, but really has like a deeper sort of tone than you'd expect. 
I mean, it kind of makes sense because Ariel is supposed to be 16. Realistically, though, Jodie Benson, the voice of Ariel, was about 27 at the time. Fun story. Jodie Benson was actually a friend of my dad's, and my dad realized that I was obsessed with this movie as a child and got Jodie Benson to autograph a number of pictures for me, and he framed them, and they hung in my bedroom for years, and they hang in our little office area. But, like, it was the nicest thing. It's so nice. It's very cute because it's, like, a very inspirational sort of, like, follow your dreams kind of thing. It's very cute. It's so cute! (laughs) I know we'll probably, of course, never watch this for our podcast, although maybe we would for a special episode later on. But Jodie Benson is in the movie Enchanted. (gasps) I know! They have, like, a bunch of Disney princesses as minor characters. As, minor characters. I know. And she's, like, one of the check-in staff for her. (laughs) Yeah. No, I know. And she has a fish tank next to her desk. I know. It's the greatest. <laughs> it's so and, cute. And like, people don't realize that. I wish pe- more people would see that movie because the movie is so great. And there's all these like small little Easter eggs like that where like Jodie Benson next to a fish tank and like all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is genius. It's like Paige O'Hara and Judy Kuhn and yes! like, all these other Disney princesses. <gasps> Maybe we should watch that for the podcast. We need to watch it right now. <laughs> So when Ariel actually does get to the surface and is a human with legs, um, I didn't have too much of a problem with the scene as a kid. But now as an adult, there is a very long time of Ariel hanging out pantsless. And I was feeling kind of weird about that. <laughs> like she's like in the water with like the water like up to the, her l- lower belly. And I'm just like, we're very close to seeing something we should not be seeing. And then, like, when she's standing up and tottering around, I'm just like, ooh, ooh, these other characters, like, they are seeing some new parts to her that have never been seen before. Okay, this is what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> they were baby mermaids, but, like, how are baby mermaids made? I think, it, like I said, like seahorses. Like, they just released eggs into a cloud in the water or something like that. But now there's actual parts. Anyhow, uh, Scuttle finally tells her, you know what? If you're going to be part of this world, you should probably wear something. And I always thought that she was like wrapped in like a like a tattered sail or something like that, like some rigging from a boat. Turns out it's just a shirt because that shirt gets taken away and laundered and becomes like just a man's shirt that was wrapping her whole body that whole time. She's very petite. Yeah, she's very small. They put her in like nice clothes because the prince is like, oh, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. And Max is like the whole time is like, I know this person. <laughs> like, why aren't you listening to me? But. One of the things that makes me laugh that I didn't realize would make me laugh was the musical number with Sebastian in the kitchen trying to not get eaten by the chef. (laughs) Because apparently the meal that the chef has prepared is stuffed crab. Like it looks like it's just crab meat where the head is like broken off and stuffed with lettuce and cheese and breadcrumbs, I think. So the thing with Les Poissons is that this scene is a perfect break from everything. And it's just so funny and it's so fun because, like, this is clearly not a chef who's a bad person. Although when I was a kid, I thought he was a bad person just because he's trying to kill one of the main characters. But he's just a very dedicated chef and his ingredients are not cooperating with him. And so he gets really upset. And so he's running around with a butcher's knife. He cleaves an entire counter in half. He's like throwing knives into like stone. Like he is a very, very strong person. 
But it is a very, very funny song because he's just like, yeah, I'm a good chef and this is what I do. This song also made me think of the origins of the songwriters, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. And they had previously worked together on Little Shop of Horrors. And so in Little Shop of Horrors, there is a song. It's sort of like two thirds into the movie. And it's exactly the same sort of tone as this. And it's the dentist song where it's about the dentist who's a sadist who loves inflicting pain on people. And that makes him a very good dentist. And so it's the same kind of thing in this where he's talking about how much he loves cooking. But from a marine animal's point of view, he is a person who tortures and maims. But it's a very like it's a very similar parallel where he's just like, I have fun doing what I love, and this is my passion. Although it's a lot less disturbing in this because he's just a cook. And I love that at the end of this, Sebastian still ends up on the pl- on one of the plates, still alive, <laughs> still alive. And the guy who has him on his plate is like, "I better eat it before this crab runs away." And like he doesn't notice that the crab has <laughs> run away, and it's kind of funny. I never noticed we, that we thing both, before, but we both like, looked we at both it. We both just like, <laughs> "That's really cute." The next morning, Eric and Ariel go out on the town. They have a little ride and they end up just shopping. It's a weird, like, I don't even remember this at all, but they just have this little shopping montage where they buy baguettes and flowers and boots. Okay, so super jelly. My mom made this great Halloween costume for my sister one year and she was spitting image of Ariel in this moment like she had the blue bow in her hair she had the beautiful blue dress like i was super jelly because that year i was probably like a pile of turds or something and my mom had her her beautiful dress it was a great dress my sister looked fantastic i don't remember who her prince eric was i think she had a prince eric i want to say the kid's name was dalton timothy dalton no dalton trumbo no okay then that's the only daltons i know but I was super jealous how, my, how good my sister looked in that costume. This shopping trip becomes an infamous rowboat ride. They go through the swamp and Scuttle decides, I'm going to sing some sexy music to set the mood and start squawking. Prince Eric says, somebody better put that bird out of its misery. And that's when I realized in this movie, a lot of the characters have their lives threatened in very playful ways. And Sebastian says, if you want something done right, you better do it yourself. And starts the song, Kiss the Girl. I've got a funny story about this song. Ooh, tell me. So when I went to college, I joined a cappella groups. The first one that I was a part of was called the Troy Tones. They were a very fun group. At the time, it was a very young group. They hadn't really been established that much yet. So it was a very experimental group, too. So a lot of the songs that we sang weren't, like, incredibly musically proficient. But they were audience-engaging. And so the first solo that I ever had with that group was with the song Kiss the Girl, which I sang with a full Jamaican accent, which I will not recreate now <laughs> because that because 2003 was a different time. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd mention it. You can imagine it for yourself, but I will not be recreating that here. I mean, there's a whole messed up part where like Ursula is like, comes in as a person and like mesmerizes the prince and then like all these animals attack her during her wedding. Scuttle tells them all to do that because he's basically Aquaman of the sky and sea. Yeah. Where he commands them all to destroy a wedding. Messed up. Could you imagine that power used for evil? Messed up. Scuttle is Aquaman. 
but also like aqua avia man aqua avia bird aquavia bird i don't even like normal birds but like if birds interrupted my wedding i'd be like that's a horror movie right there <laughs> just one bird that tells the squirrels mess up this guy's day <laughs> that's horrible i know it's so frightening one hungry seagull just like he wouldn't give me bread i want you to destroy his credit line so eric ends up stabbing ursula at the end of this movie steers a sharp masted boat right into her belly whether it's his boat or like another boat he stabs her with the boat she dies well that's the thing as i never realized before is that he stabs her and then they show a wide shot where you see the mask coming out the back of her it's not just like a puncture wound just no, from the front no he stabbed that is her. an in and out wound yeah like through the back and the thing is, is I don't think that she necessarily dies from that, but she's holding the trident and she's like, I'm the master of the seas and the elements and oh, everything. No, she dies from that. She gets struck by her own lightning to the point where you see her skeleton through her body. Okay. Either way, she dies. Whether and it was the stab or the lightning, All of she's her dead. worm people get to go. Yeah. Her garden of shriveled people are all released. Including, including Triton. Triton. So he takes back his crown and his Triton. Everything seemingly goes back to normal, except that Triton realizes that Ariel loves Eric. And Eric loves Ariel. So he gives Ariel her legs. He apparently has that power that he hid this whole time because he's a jerk. And <laughs> he gives Ariel her legs. She marries Eric. Not only does Triton give her legs... But he also gives her the blue fairy dress. It's like the same dress that the blue fairy wore when she first visited Pinocchio. No, that's a super sexy dress. I mean, it's similar. It's a blue dress and it's sparkly. It's and it's like got purple. And it's got the sleeves cut off and it's got the V-neck cut. I, I thought it was very similar. But like she was sitting on the rock and just pining after him and when, when Triton gave her legs. And for a second, I was just like, well, are we going to get that scene again where she's just like, hanging out pantsless and she's like my love and runs up to him without bottoms but instead she's got the sparkly dress and she's got her voice and they embrace each other and then they get married on a boat the mer people are watching from the surface of the water and there's the people on the land and they're just like oh we love it and she's like wearing this like white dress with puffy sleeves i guess it was supposed to be semi-modeled after princess diana's dress when she married prince charles because hmm. 80s but yeah, they get married. You see Sebastian, he's cuddling the toppers on the cake. And then Chef Louis sees him and cuts the cake first before anybody could. <laughs> because he's trying to kill Sebastian. And then Sebastian uh, uses the ship rigging to give him a concussion and knock out all of his teeth. And then Sebastian goes, ha ha, and jumps into the ocean. She's like, Sebastian, I feel like is the worst character <laughs> of all. I always thought all these years that he was the sort of like the advisor to the king. But they mention his whole name in the beginning and just say he's the royal composer. He just writes the music for the sea. That's well, it. But like, but the thing was, Triton asked him to follow Ariel. Yeah, because he's, he goes on this whole rant, like, if she were my daughter, I would blah, 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 blah. And Triton's just like, all right, so do it. Well, we got to the end of the movie. And it's beautiful. And Triton gives a rainbow. And the end. So uh, that was The Little Mermaid. I had fun from start to finish. It's a really well done movie. It's just like everything fits in the right way. I wasn't thrown off or disturbed by anything. It was just 
lovely. It was nice. I'm not going to lie. Like, the Little Mermaid, that's my princess, man. Like, as a redheaded young girl growing up in the 90s. She's headstrong, but like, not like Belle, where she's still kind of an introvert. Like, you're still an extrovert. They say that she's the best singer. So she's a performer. She knows what's best for herself. She charges forward with her own itinerary. And so, yeah, I totally see that. I love my girl. I mean, we'll get to my Disney princess much later. In Who's Mon- your Disney princess? In Monsters, Inc. Uh, oh, Mike Wazowski is my Disney princess. <laughs> All right. Or Wally. He's also my Disney princess. <sighs> I think more Wally is your Disney princess. I'm like halfway between else. the two. No, you're solidly Wally. I'm a little more mouthy than Wally. That's no. why I think Mike Wazowski. No. I think you're Wally. I think I'm Wally? Mm-hmm. Wally. Yeah. If I were Eva, you'd be Wally. Yeah, sure. Final thoughts. I loved it. I love this movie. Yeah, it was great. It was a, it was adventurous, something for everybody. And I think that this was a great sort of direction shift for the company to start making movies the way that they did. Like it just everything after this, I know, was like, you know, they had little hiccups here and there. But like this was a really great sort of jumping off point for making really great movies. Yeah, I'm on board from this point forward. So I love it. <laughs> Got a couple more fun facts. Oh, please hit me. It's possible that Prince Eric could be related to Prince Philip and Princess Aurora from Sleeping Beauty. Oh, yeah? Because when they're in the dining room, when they're being served stuffed crab, uh, there are portraits of them on the wall. And it's like a little bit of a Disney Easter egg, but it's very possible that he could be a descendant. I think it's kind of reaching. Okay, new one. Um, You notice how there's a lot of shots of Ariel sitting on a rock, either under the sea or over the sea, like up on the surface, just like laying on a rock. The reason why is that's a dedication to the original Little Mermaid, who has been made a statue in Denmark, in Copenhagen, where Hans Christian Andersen wrote the actual story. They have a statue there of the Little Mermaid. And so she was doing that to uh, pay homage to that statue. Aww. Do you remember what Ariel's sisters' names were? Okay, not all seven of them. Do you remember any of them? Because I wouldn't remember any of them on my uh, off the top of my head. There's like Lufthansa. Nope. That's, and... a, that's an airline. <laughs> a Mazda. Oh, no, that's a car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then there's like Shuptanza nope. and Melanda. Nope. Abada, badadada. Okay, clearly I don't. The sisters are named Atina, Alana, Aquata, Arista, Adela, Adrina, and Ariel. The significance of these names is they are all colors, and they are the colors of the rainbow. Colors of the wind. Of the rainbow. So Atina is orange, Alana is a name for violet. Aquata for blue, Arista for red, Adela for yellow, Andrina for indigo, and Ariel for green. And Ariel, of course, is different because it doesn't end with an A like the other ones do. And finally, uh, Ariel's body type and personality were based on... Me. Do you want to guess? You guess you. (laughs) A year before you were born, Uh, Ariel was based on you. Yes, me. Thank you. I'm beautiful. Thank you. What would you guess just looking at her? And thinking of like the late 80s. Paula Abdul. Alyssa Milano. Oh, okay. Back when she was a teenager on Who's the Boss. Okay. Also known for Charmed. 
much later on. Okay, that show's hard <laughs> to watch. Like, now that show's not great. It is. The effects have not aged well. Mm-mm. Anyway, no. her body type was based on Alyssa Milano, and her hair was based on Sally Ride, the first female astronaut okay. of the USA. And because the way that like her hair would kind of like flare out in space and in zero gravity, that's what they based her hair on. Those are my fun facts. The end. <laughs> uh, do you want to know what our next movie is? What's our next movie? It's that famous Disney princess movie, DuckTales the movie. No, you're lying. DuckTales the movie released in theaters. No, you're lying. You want me to watch DuckTales. But I'm lying. not lying. It's on our list. Do you want to skip DuckTales the movie? No, I'm not trying to duck DuckTales. I just think you're lying because you want lying. me to watch DuckTales. No, I, I can watch DuckTales anytime I want, but um, DuckTales the movie came out in 1990. We will be theaters. watching DuckTales. This one has to do with uh, a genie of the lamp. I mean, we can, we can skip it if you want to. No, I'm not trying to skip things. I just don't believe you as a human. Do you believe me as a dog? I'll bring a dog in here and go like, look, there's a movie. Kids, it sounds like we're going to be doing DuckTales. Brenna and her new podcast friend, Joey the dog. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we should say cheers. Okay. Cheers. Cheers.